All right, getting started here with this formation talk, uh, I, I want to present us with an image uh, to describe what we're doing exactly in semester, to kind of put these things into context. I want to give us the image of a house, okay? And to think, think through what we're doing in SBO, in community, on three different levels, the levels of foundations, of structure, and of practices. Okay, so when you walk into a house, the first thing you notice when you cross the threshold uh, is the kind of the life that happens between the walls. You recognize how people relate with one another. You kind of see how they live. You see how they do things. You see the kind of practices that they're about, right? You see the what of their life that is happening in that place. Now, you spend a little bit more time there, and you begin to see a little bit deeper. You begin to see the structures that actually support that life. You begin to see, for example, the rooms of the house. You begin noticing how the floor and the walls and the windows and the roof actually help support the life that happens. You, for example, the, the kitchen allows you to cook for household dinner. You know, and the dining room allows you to share meals together in the living room and so on and so forth. This is kind of the how of how we do what we do in community and SBO. But beneath all this, beneath a house, what actually grounds it at its very base are its, is its foundation, right? It's its foundation going deep, going deep. And that's what we're trying to do um, in formation this semester. And actually, really, the foundations are the most important part of a house because without a firm foundation, there's no house. I mean, the wind knocks it right over, right? So we're talking about foundations for life together in SBL. So last time, John Stevenson was here. He talked about renewal and the Holy Spirit. Tonight, we're going to be picking up also on foundations, but on a little bit of a different note, talking about brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ. A little bit of a, just to parse down what, where exactly we're going to go with this. So we're not primarily going to be talking about men and women relating together. We're primarily talking about brotherhood and sisterhood where that comes from, how to understand that, and how to begin um, embracing that, how to begin living that charism. Yeah, so if you look on a college campus, you can see that we desire <clears throat> relationships with men, desire relationships with men, and women desire relationships with women. And those are integral to who we are as humans. Um, you look, there are a million groups that are, that are trying to offer you a place of belonging, that are trying to give you relationships, they're trying to give you intimacy. You see that everywhere. And the most notable example, I think, is fraternities and sororities, right? So why have fraternities and sororities been around for as long as they have? Why are they so attractive? And the reason is because we have a deep longing and a deep need for brotherhood and sisterhood. And fraternities and sororities, they, they fall short of the mark, right? So they, they capitalize on this deep need and they they do a good job in some aspects, right? But oftentimes what happens is it, it turns into some debauchery. I mean, you always hear every year, like, some kid in Minnesota died from hazing, right? Or Not always Minnesota. <laughs> sometimes other places. Sometimes, sometimes Columbus, Ohio, you know? And so these things fall short, right? So the world gives, gives options that don't meet the need exactly. So you have that on one hand, and then you have the other hand where people in college kind of forsake the whole project of community and they just sit in their rooms and they keep company with Netflix or their homework or whatever it is to kind of isolate themselves and avoid others, right? Because the others haven't worked out so well so they have to depend on themselves. So you have these kind of two poles of what can happen, but they're, they both are reflective of the fact that we desire and we need brotherhood and sisterhood. So there are kind of three parts of the story of man, 
And we talk about these pretty often, right? Original man in the garden, fallen man, and then what's called eschatological man, so where we're headed, right? So right now we're going to start with man in the garden. So man and woman are created. They both image God, right? And they both reveal unique facets of who God is in their womanhood and their manhood. <coughs> they both are confident in who they are, and that confidence allows them to be free. It allows them to love freely. It allows them to focus on the other. It allows them um, to do what they're made to do. They, they aren't concerned with envy or competition, but their only concern is being poured out for God and for others. So that's kind of our starting place, okay? We know that doesn't go, work out so well, right? That doesn't last long. The fall of man happens in Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God specifically said, don't eat from that tree. You're supposed to just eat from the tree of life, etc. They do it, and man falls. All of man, okay? Really interesting. The, son, the first two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, they perpetuate the sin of Adam and Eve. They, they continue the curse, essentially, um, when Cain kills Abel. Um, Cain forfeits his likeness to God. And when you, we'll read the story in a second. You can just feel a kind of worldly insecurity in Cain about his own manhood when you hear the story. That provokes him to envy and to kill his own brother, Abel. Okay, so I'm going to read the story here from Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. So, uh, Cain and Abel, they're born to Adam and Eve. Abel becomes a herder of flocks and Cain a tiller of the ground, a farmer, and a shepherd. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground, while Abel, for his part, brought the fatty portion of the firstlings of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and dejected. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why are you dejected? If you act rightly, you will be accepted. But if not, sin lies in wait at the door. It's urges for you, yet you can rule over it. Yet Cain goes and says to his brother Abel, Let us go out in the field. And when they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He answered, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? God then said, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're banned from the ground to open its mouth to receive his blood. It will no longer produce produce for you. You'll become a constant wanderer on the earth. And Cain he despairs and he says, my punishment is too great to bear. You've banished me from the ground. And I must avoid you and people are going to want to kill me on the earth. So Cain leaves the Lord's presence and settles in the land of Nod, which is east of Eden. He leaves paradise. He's cast out. He turns away from the Lord's face. And then Cain goes on, it says, to become the founder of a city. A couple highlights from the story. So Cain and Abel, they're both brothers. They bring offerings to the Lord. And the narrative doesn't exactly tell us why, but God prefers what Abel brings. And Cain's jealous. Cain is full of envy. He is. And God sees that and points it out to him and says, you can be the master of this. You don't need to give in to this envy. But, of course, Cain goes and he kills his brother and becomes not just a murderer, but then he goes out and start, settles a whole city of murderers. Oh, let that sink in for a second. A whole city. You read the story further and his great-grandson becomes a murderer just like him. That's the story of Cain. So um, from 1 John, he says, Cain belonged to the evil one and slaughtered his brother. Why did he slaughter him? Because his own works were evil, and those of his brother were righteous. And St. Augustine, I have the quote here from him, what he says about it. 
Cain gave to God something of his own, but kept himself to himself. For this all do, who follow not God's will, but their own, who live not with an upright, but a crooked heart, and yet offer to God such gifts as they suppose will procure from him that he aid them not by healing, but by gratifying their evil, their evil passions, just to fuel their evil desires and the things that they want in the world. This is the characteristic of the earthly city that Cain ends up founding. And overcome with envy, that is why Cain slew his brother, who was a citizen of the eternal city and a sojourner on earth. This is our story, remember. The story of Cain and Abel is our story of brotherhood and of sisterhood and of the fragmentation between men and between women. Okay? But of course, the story doesn't end there. God looked upon the sorry state of humanity. He looked upon uh, the horrible suffering resulting from the sin of Cain and everyone after him and sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to ransom those under the law, that they might become children of God. And so Christ and Mary, as a new Adam and the new Eve, renew human nature, right? They give us, uh, they reestablish union with God and show us a new, a whole, totally new way of being in the world that was totally unknown before that. And at least since the time of Adam and Eve, they give the chance to even become children of God, making the children of God brothers and sisters to one another, right? Letting them be able to be spiritually fruitful in the way that Adam and Eve could be physically fruitful before, and enabling them, the children of God, to become kin, to become family. That is awfully different from how Cain and Abel related with one another, okay? Really profound example of this from the ancient church, Saints Gregory Nazianzen and Basil the Great. They were the best of friends. At Basil's funeral, Gregory delivers this amazing homily for his best friend at his funeral. He says they became two bodies, but one spirit. Okay, I'm going to read just a, a passage from this. Basil and I were both in Athens. This is Gregory saying this about his friend. I knew his conduct and the maturity and the wisdom of his com conversation. I sought to persuade others to think highly of him as well. We became everything to each other. We shared the same lodging, the same table, the same desires, the same goal. Our love for each other grew daily warmer and deeper. The same hope inspired us, the love of learning. This is an ambition especially subject to envy, though. Yet between us, there was no envy. On the contrary, we made capital out of our rivalry. Our rivalry consisted not in seeking the first place for ourselves, but in yielding it to the other, and we looked on the other person's success as our own. We seem to be two bodies with a single spirit. We were different men. Different men have different names uh, that they get from their parents or they get from their kind of occupation and what they do in the world. Together, their only desire was to be called Christians together as brothers. That's the call for us. Yeah. So right now, our default way of life is the city of Cain, right? It's the city of disunity, disloyalty, city of alienation and that is why it's so hard to build lasting relationships relationships that are vulnerable relationships that are intimate relationships that span the test of time and hardship it's because of sin James puts it that our passions are making war within our members so our our sin and our vice is is interacting in a way in our community that is waging war Right, so our sin wages war in our communities. Um, and we, we develop this, I like to call it a mindset of scarcity. It's like we believe that God only has a certain number of golden lottery tickets. And if, if Lauren gets one, that, that means that I don't get one. And so I need to fight for what's mine. 
and I need to try to take back that golden lottery ticket. And that is what led Cain to kill Abel. This mindset that there isn't enough for all of us, so I need to take what's mine. That's what led Cain to kill his brother. Um, and his brother became the enemy instead of a friend. His brother became the one he had to kill to win instead of the one who he won with. Okay? So maybe, maybe you and I wouldn't kill our brother or sister, but the seeds of Cain are in our hearts. We have often made our brothers and sisters into enemies. Right? So I want you to just take a minute and think about how and when you have made your sister or your brother into the enemy. Some examples I thought of and kind of what we're left with when we live in the city of Cain. We get this, we can get a, a bloodthirsty masculinity that seeks to conquer and dominate, that sinks to bask in superiority or avoids other people and just ruminates on how annoying other people are, how much better we are than them. We get a, a competitive and an envious femininity that tears away from our sisters, that sees their success as our failure, that slanders and steals their good name from them. Instead of self-gift in relationships and intimacy, we get sarcasm, right? And what does sarcasm mean? Literally to tear at flesh, right? And isn't that exactly what Cain did to Abel, but rip, nothing but rip apart his flesh. And so this is how Cain is really Yeah. That is really how the seeds of Cain have, have grown in our society and are continuing to grow in our hearts. But as Ethan said, that's not the end of this story. We do not have a God of scarcity, but we have a God of abundance. We have a God that has made enough room at the table for all of us to be known and understood and loved. And that is the marker of the heavenly city. St. John talks about that loving our brothers is the evidence that we have passed from death into life, and if we do not love our brothers, then we cannot possibly know God, right? So those things are, those things are together, right? If we say that we love God, then it means we have to love our brothers. And if we are loving our brothers, that's a sign that we are living in the heavenly city that we're destined for. And so Christ is the difference here. And I think a good example of that is in scripture. James and John, they're referred to as the sons of thunder. And they really butt heads. I don't know if you remember, they are fighting over who is going to sit at the right hand of the Lord. Right? They're going at it. Um, in a way not too dissimilar from Cain and Abel. And then you get the passion and the resurrection of our Lord. And they are changed. They are now, all of a sudden, brothers united in a common mission and fueled by the Holy Spirit. So that is, that's different, right? The Lord changes us. He changes the way we relate. And he makes us into the earthly city, or the heavenly city. So our, our personal salvation is tied up in the community. So we become redeemed by the community, and people that are redeemed build redeemed communities. So it's our job to try to build this heavenly city. And the holier we get, the holier our communities become. And then they shine into the world and they become a light to the world 
And it's through our relationships, our brotherhood and our sisterhood in particular, that God's glory shines. And people see that and they notice and they are changed. Amen. Amen. Guys, this is why SBO exists. This is why. To call us out of darkness, the city of Cain, into the marvelous light of the Lord, the city of the kingdom of God, right? To a totally new experience of brotherhood and of sisterhood, right? Remember that time, remember when you were without Christ, when you were in that place of darkness, right? We've, had, we've all had this experience to varying degrees, I'm sure. Think of relationships in the world, how dark they can be. At the, I mean, at the very least, they're kind of benign and, you know, can be kind of purposeless and you might even say a little bit of a waste of time. At worst, they can be totally, totally distracting from everything that matters, right? But SBO calls us in the Lord into the kingdom of God, to live according to that heavenly city here and now in a totally new experience of brotherhood and sisterhood. And I know that you guys have experienced that. You wouldn't be in this room otherwise, right? I mean, I couldn't even begin to recount the number of times I've heard from y'all personal experiences of having come into this group and seen something totally different from the world and experienced something that was totally life-giving. And that really shines through in brotherhood and the sisterhood. It becomes a light to the nations, to the whole campus, okay? So we want to talk about a few keys to living brotherhood and sisterhood in the light of this story of who we are in this community, okay? So they all revolves around being your brother's keeper. So first of all, we want to respectively honor manhood and womanhood in community. So there's a lot that we could say about this. But just to get started, men, speak to you. Uh, sorry, I was tripping over myself, my own words. Be supportive of the, of the women being women and doing womanly things. And women, I'm speaking to you. Be supportive of the men being men together and doing manly things. That's the best thing you all can do for each other, okay? Um, further, this means... Um, men be cognizant of forming, for example, exclusive relationships with women that would become an occasion for sin, an occasion for a division amongst them. And women, likewise, don't do, don't do the opposite for the men. Don't do that, okay? Um, another key, build a culture of healthy masculinity. I mean, we're having a whole men's retreat about this soon. But a couple things that I'll say. You can only learn to be a man, men, from other men. You can't learn how to be a man from a woman. And women, you can't learn how to be a woman from a man. You know, men, your mom's not going to teach you. Your sister's not going to teach you. Your girlfriend, even your future spouse, they're not going to teach you how to be a man. You have to be initiated from boyhood into manhood by men. And that requires a lively culture, a strong environment of masculinity to bring that about. And we need to be about bringing that. And we have a lot of responsibility to be our brother's keeper and to build that culture of brotherhood that can actually initiate boys into men so their future wives and bishops don't have to okay we want to do that um and that is that is what will show this campus what true brotherhood and sisterhood is about right i mean this is what this is what the frats and sororities really are after they're actually after what we're doing here in this room and building a culture of healthy masculinity and femininity that can be strong brotherhood and sisterhood yeah i would attribute most of of who Ethan and I are to having the friends and the brotherhood and the sisterhood that we had in college. Um, when I got married, I could have written a novel to Ethan's groomsmen, thanking them for the, the work they did and for the love and the, 
um, <coughs> friendship they offered my husband because he, I mean, he wouldn't be Ethan without the men in college, and I, I mean, I wouldn't be myself. I remember that I gave, a couple years ago, my testimony to the Girls Legend household, and um, they were so surprised that it didn't include Ethan at all. None of it. Because <laughs> he came at the end. He came after a lot of years of being with women. And even to this day, I still am in a small group with the girls that I was close to in college, the girls that knew me and loved me and understood me, uh, because they mattered and our relationships mattered. So as, as women, John Paul II tasks us with building a culture that's worthy of the person. So if we think about who we are, women made in the image and likeness of the Godhead, uh, that demands something of the culture, right? What kind of culture is worthy of us? We're responsible for creating that. We're responsible for creating a culture that is inclusive, for a culture that is encouraging, a building, for a culture that is holy, for a culture that, uh, that sees and understands other women. And, and that, I mean, that's a heavy responsibility, but it, it's possible, you know? The Lord says, be perfect as I am perfect, and he wouldn't say that if we couldn't do it with his grace. Uh, on Wednesdays in night prayer, you pray this really intense line from the first letter of Peter. It's, the devil, your adversary, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And right now, in our world, in this place, the number one thing that I think, and then a lot of us think, he's trying to devour is the relationships between men and the relationships between women. That is an easy target and it's something that we need. And so it's an easy thing for the devil to devour. So we're, and that is really intense. Um, so we're gonna talk a little bit about how to smell sulfur, right? How to smell the marks of the enemy and what it looks like when your relationships are being attacked, right? And how to respond. So some marks of the enemy that I thought of, that we thought of together, Envy, right? That is the classic example. That is exactly what Cain was. So envy is being dejected at someone else's success. St. John Chrysostom says that when we rejoice in others' virtues, we actually get to share in their crowns. There's something about rejoicing together that upbuilds us all and that is actually good for us all. So envy, self-justification. It's not my fault, it's their fault. They're responsible for what's going wrong. I'm better than them, right? That's a destroyer. And it, it builds walls. It doesn't build relationships. Using others. What can I get out of them? I only want to talk to them for as long as it's good for me. I only be friends with them as long as it gets me something. Right? I'm only going to do this when it's convenient for me. Indifference. It's hard to be your brother's keeper if you're not making them a priority. Right? It's hard to, to keep something if you don't even think about it. Or you don't even do anything about it. And then distrust. So that's assuming malice in someone else. Assuming that someone else did something to hurt you, or someone else sucks, or someone else um, hates you, or something like that. Instead, we need to fill the gap with trust. When something goes wrong, trust that the other person's trying, just like you. Trust that the other person loves you, and that you know you can you can figure this out together. Uh, so those are, those are some of the enemies that we need to, to recognize and to root out, right? And when we smell them, we need to do something about it because it's a bad sign.
just in the, and if you want, in the women's bathroom, there's a whole list of red flags and relationships. And some of these are on that list. I just saw that when I went to the bathroom. I just saw that. Um, so we are right in the city of Cain, headed towards heaven, headed towards the eternal city, trying to build the eternal city here. Uh, and we just want to talk about some best practices. How do we start building the eternal city here? How do we do that? Build good relationships. The one thing that I would say is this time matters. You guys have, I know you feel really busy. Everyone always feels really busy forever. But you're in a unique situation where you live with your friends. You have the same life as your friends. So you have all of these points of contact that are built into your life. I guarantee you that every single young adult in Cincinnati wishes they had that. Every single person from 22 to 35 wishes that they had the opportunity to build relationships that you do because they are alone. Okay? So use this opportunity. This is a great opportunity to invest, to build, and a lot of things will fade after college, right? The extra hours you work to to get a little extra cash to buy Chipotle, the um, random people of the opposite sex that you texted with, the uh, grades you got, those, those will kind of fade. The things that won't fade are the friendships that you built and that you really poured into. Those will last past this time. So I just would encourage you to pour into them because it, it will not be like this again. And this matters. I wish that I, we could have brought like Cincinnati young adults and they could just like preach <laughs> their loneliness and their desire to build relationships to you because it is so strong here, especially in the city. Mm. A few more best practices. Okay, quick one. When you see a division in community amongst your brothers or amongst your sisters, call it out and do something about it. Be reconciled with one another. Don't let things just fester. I mean, come on. Do something about it. Okay, that's a quick one. Okay. Prepare for your vocation by growing in maturity first. Whether God's calling you to marriage or to a celibate vocation, the number one thing that you can do to prepare for the life that God is calling you to is by digging in to where you're at right now with your brothers or with your sisters. Playing off of what Carol was saying, okay? A good friend of ours um, loves to say, people have a much harder time adjusting to marriage, to their first year of marriage, that have never lived in community. Because they're not accustomed to bumping shoulders with one another. They've never had the experience of brotherhood and sisterhood before. So, men, at the risk of belaboring the point, you can only be men, become men by spending time with other men. That is where you'll become the kind of man that God's calling you to be, first and foremost. You have to get that straight first, okay? And likewise for women, okay? Right now, in college, it's very easy to change the trajectory of your life, to change your habits, to change where you're going. It's not always going to be that way. After college, when you enter your vocation as well, it gets much harder to change your trajectory. That means it's really important to get off on the right foot when you start making these kinds of decisions. And the way to really support that best is by being really enmeshed within brotherhood and within sisterhood and taking advantage of that right now. I want to highlight two particular um, dangers that I, wa I want us to be aware of, guys, okay? One is to um, beware prematurely diving into dating. The second one is to uh, beware spending, uh, acting when you're dating as if you're married. Like by spending so much time together, it's as if you're kind of married, okay? 
you're going to have, if you are called to marriage, you're going to have a whole life to spend together with your spouse. You have a whole life to spend together. Well, at the least, you might find yourself feeling like you missed out on some brotherhood and sisterhood in your time in college here of an SPL. At the worst, you could find yourself locked into a situation and settling, in settling for something that you, you know, you didn't didn't ever really want to be in the first place because you got in too quick, too early, etc., and weren't really ready in the first place. Okay. One really tangible way I want to just present to you guys. Some of you guys have heard me talk about this. Some of you, this is probably brand new. To present this as an option for y'all to consider. Committing to be single for a season. It's kind of funny for me as a married person to kind of be talking about this, actually. Um, But I can't speak from experience. I, I did it for three years in college. And I'll tell you, it was the number one best decision I ever made in college. Number one. And Carol would affirm that that was my number one decision I made in college was deciding to be single for a season. On the one hand, it gives you a really, a really an open space to um, discern your vocation. Have really in freedom, ask the Lord, what are, you, what are you calling me to be? How are you calling me to lay down my life and glorify you? On the other hand, it provides you with a really a great space to really dig in with brothers and sisters in the Lord and to really take advantage of that time and the space. Um, so, Final word. Okay, we're on a journey. We're on a journey. Like I said earlier, men and women in this room, we've been doing this brotherhood and sister thing, sisterhood thing already. We've experienced something of the Lord's goodness and this reconciliation and had a powerful experience of community here. What we're calling us to this talk is to anchor that within who God has made us to be and who he calls us to be and how to continue living that out more and more faithfully. Amen?